Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. Great to be with you and have this opportunity once again to open up God's Word, dig a little bit deeper, look a little bit more closely, and learn a little bit more from those rich teachings and truths. We're so blessed to have the Bible. You know, it's just not that way. Everywhere in the world, we take it for granted. And probably just about everybody listening today has at least one copy of God's Word in your possession, in your home, and probably most of us have two or three or maybe even more. And, you know, we take it so much for granted. We just assume it's always going to be there. We know we've got one. We may not open it much in some cases, but we know it's there, and so a lot of people, they'll put it in a book bookcase or they'll put it on a table someplace or maybe even on a shelf in a closet, but they know they've got it. But again, so many people do not really open it up and read it very much. Here in Search the Scriptures, we want to help you really get into God's Word. We want to help you get a sense of the richness and the excitement of understanding, learning from those tremendous teachings that are there, the promises, the blessings, and all of the accounts of different people uh, having lived in this world at different times as the scriptures were written and they were referred to. You know, in some parts of the world, people would be so excited to get a Bible. I remember an account of a woman who smuggled Bibles into Russia this was probably during a time before uh, Russia had thrown off to the extent that it has thrown off the, the uh, you know, mantle of communism, and, and it was not as easy for people to openly worship God and to possess Bibles and so on. And so she would smuggle Bibles into Russia, and she, she talked about how a person would react when they received one of those Bibles. She said they would tear out each page carefully and pass it on to a friend or a family or a neighbor, and that person would copy that page and then pass it on to somebody else. And in that way, there would be multiple, multiple copies of the scriptures. They would pass them around, and then it would come back to the original owner of that Bible, and that way he could share God's word with several other people, maybe quite a few. Well, just think about how excited that person must have been and how excited all of those other people must have been to be able to copy down a page from God's word. And then the next page would come to them, and then they would pass those copies around, and those people would copy those copies, and and, uh, amazing. Now, that is real hunger and thirst for the scriptures. Oh, I wish that we could, in our country, exhibit on a general basis that kind of hunger and thirst for God's word. But we hope that we're helping you develop that kind of hunger and thirst for God's word here on Search the Scriptures. We want to help you get into those scriptures. The Bible itself says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith develops as we get into God's word and we learn it more effectively and we contemplate on it. We come to believe in it and then start to make the proper applications to our personal lives. That's how faith develops and that's how faith grows within an individual and gets deeper and stronger and fuller. We want to help you with that. 
And as your faith in God grows, then you should be wanting to come to God and walk with him in faithful obedience, seeking forgiveness through Jesus Christ as you confess your faith in him as God's son and your Lord and Savior, and submitting to God and his will for your life as you repent of your sins and surrender to your Lord and Savior in baptism, at which point the blood that he shed on the cross cleanses you of the guilt of your sins. Oh, how wonderful a transformation that is. It is, as Jesus told Nicodemus, needs to happen. It is being born again spiritually. And it is, as the Apostle Paul described it, becoming new in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And that, that experience, that reawakening, that rebirth, that being made new is offered to everybody, to everybody. How we need to grab on to that opportunity and make it a reality of our life. Well, you know, that helps us work into this particular study that we began last time. And I've entitled this, It's Time to Stop Running from God. The world is facing a reality right now that ought to impress upon us and ought to impress upon everybody that it's time to stop running from God. It really is. Now, it's not just that this epidemic is what it is, this pandemic is what it is, but even when this is over, and I have absolute confidence God will deliver us from this, it's another in a long string of such historical events throughout the history of mankind. There have been pandemics and epidemics, and there have been plagues, contagions of various sorts on an ongoing basis. This, too, I believe, will pass. But even as it does, after it does, we're still facing a reality in this world that should motivate us to recognize and then act upon the absolute certainty that it's time to stop running from God. Because even as this pandemic passes and it, those who have been infected the vast, vast majority of them recover. Death is still a reality. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, it is appointed unto man to die once, but after this the judgment. So we need to be ready for death because after death comes the judgment and we're talking about eternal consequences there. Either heaven or hell, and there's no third choice. There's no middle of the road. It's one or the other. Jesus said that most people are traveling down the wrong path through life. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said most are going down the pathway to destruction. Now, the language, the sense of it, seems to me to indicate that the vast majority is going down the pathway to destruction and not down the straight and narrow pathway of truth that leads to heaven. The choice is, is up to each one of us individually. We need to wake up. We need to recognize that it's time to stop running from God, and it's time to come to God through Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus gave the great invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Jesus offers us not a good night's sleep. He offers us spiritual rest from carrying around the burden of sinful condemnation. He offers us peace, knowing that we are secure in him because we have come to him, his way, for forgiveness and salvation. Jesus offers us that peace. He offers us that rest. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, as we noted in our opening program in this series, Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not, scatter to, uh, does not gather to me scatters abroad. So again, there's not a middle ground here. It's either or. We're either walking with Jesus. We're either living our lives in godliness, obeying God's teachings on a consistent, ongoing basis, or we're going down that pathway toward eternal condemnation in hell. If you're not with me, Jesus says, you're against me. Many people would say, well, I'm with you. I'm with, I'm with the Lord, but they're not. They're not walking the walk. They're not, they, they may talk the talk on occasion, but they're not walking the walk. They're not living godly lives. They're not living by the teachings of God's word. In Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, we find the Roman governor, Felix, who was charged with Paul, the apostle Paul's incarceration at that particular time. And he comes to Paul and he listens to the teaching of the gospel. And the scripture says that Paul reasoned with him of righteousness and judgment to come and self-control. And Felix was shaken to the point that he was afraid. And he told Paul to leave when he found a convenient time he would call for him. Now the text goes on and says that Felix listened to Paul on a number of occasions, but he never, there's no indication that he ever became a Christian, that he ever stopped running from God. He left Paul in prison when he was succeeded by his, by the next Roman governor, Festus. Now we also noted that in 1 Kings chapter 18, we find the prophet Elijah, and he goes to King Ahab, and the people of Israel at that time had become extremely ungodly. They were mixing idol worship with the worship of God. They claimed to be true to God, but they were believing in idols and worshiping idols at the same time. That does not work. God is God, the God, the only God, not just the supreme God. He is the only God. And so Elijah is sent by God to call the people together. He goes to King Ahab of Israel and says, gather the people and gather those false prophets too, that you have been harboring those prophets of the idols and let's meet on Mount Carmel. And so Ahab issues the in the, the instruction to everybody, let's gather together at Mount Carmel. The people come, those false prophets come. And Elijah calls the people. He says, how long will you falter between two opinions? Now, let's break that down basically into contemporary speech. What is he saying there? He says, how long are you going to straddle the fence? How long are you going to try to walk down the middle of the road and not make a commitment one way or another. He says, if God is God, then follow God. 
If Baal, this idol, is God, then follow him. But make up your mind and get off the fence. The people did not answer him a word. Did not make a commitment one way or another. Elijah says, make up your mind. Stop running from God. Well, history is filled with people who, in one way or another, have tried to run from God. Let's go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at Adam and Eve as we turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, how long had Adam and Eve been living in the Garden? From the point that God created them and gave them physical life and then brought them together and put them in this place that I think we would properly understand to be paradise on earth. With the tree of life right there in their midst, so that as long as they continued to eat the fruit of that particular tree, they would live forever, right here in this earth. There was no sin in the world at that time. But here comes the devil in Genesis chapter 3. And he begins by tempting Eve. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, And he said to the woman, now it's not a snake talking to the woman, it's the devil taking the form of a serpent. Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, and that would have been the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God had forbidden them from eating anything of that tree or even touching it. God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, they had been obeying God's instruction to this point. They had been abstaining from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were living righteously and faithfully before God. Adam and Eve were up until this point. How long had it been since God placed them in the garden? We don't know. But to this point, they had been faithful to God and obedient to God, consistently so. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, you see, the devil first lied when he said you will not surely die. Oh, death would become a reality for mankind Once they partook of that forbidden fruit, once they disobeyed God and sin entered their consciousness and their reality, they would die. Now, physically that very day, no, but they would begin the process of physical decay and they would die physically. But when they disobeyed God on that day, they would also die spiritually because sin separates us from God. And they would face eternal condemnation if they did not repent and come back to God in faithful obedience, seeking his forgiveness, because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and verse 23. So the devil lies right off the bat, and then he gives them a half-truth. He says, your eyes will be opened. Well, their eyes would be opened to a different reality, that's for sure, because all of a sudden sin would be confronting them, And they would recognize sin in a way they never had before. 
because they will have experienced it. And they will recognize the terrors of sin. And also, he says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, they would all of a sudden become aware of evil. Sin had not existed in the world to that point. So they had not tasted of, they had not recognized, they had not experienced. I would think probably we would say they had not even seen the reality of sin and what it could be and what it could cause. But oh, if they would eat of that forbidden fruit, all of a sudden all of those things would become reality for them. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Now that's not true, but that's the way she saw it because she bought the lines from the devil. She was hooked by the temptation that he presented her with. Oh, she thought if I can, if I can partake of this fruit, if I can eat this fruit, it's going to make me wise. And look, it looks so good for food. It's probably going to be tasty. And so she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now understand, sin, unless repented of, begets sin. It leads to more sin. And so she sinned by disobeying God. And then she reached out to her husband. The devil did not have to appear to Adam. All he had to, he had already gotten Eve. He had already hooked her. All he had to do was use her now to confront her husband, that most intimate of her relationships on this earth. So she gave to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Oh, and some people might expect from this point some kind of glorious realization dawned upon them. No, exactly the opposite. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now why? Why did they sew fig leaves together? Why did they recognize some kind of problem, some kind of negative image, now suddenly seeing themselves as being naked? They were naked before they ate of that fruit. Oh, but you see, when they ate of that fruit, they sinned. And at that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. Their perception, how they saw things, everything changed. Now they were sinners. And that was a completely different reality and identity than they had ever experienced before. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Apparently they felt ashamed. The next verse goes on and says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. How wonderful it must have been to have that kind of relationship with God during that period in man's existence that he would walk in the garden among them, before them. I wonder if it was with them even. 
They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But now that was not going to happen again because they were now sinners. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, that is God, said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Well, do you think maybe the blood drained from Adam's face at that particular time? Do you think his throat became tight and the words that he would have liked to have said in response tightened in his throat, caught in his throat? Who told you you were naked? What's the difference between just a little bit ago and now? Your difference in perception. Well, you see, they had sinned. Now, can you imagine trying to hide from God? They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Can't hide from God. It's an impossibility. When we look at Psalm 139, Listen to what it says. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For is not, there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows everything. He did not really have to ask, call out to Adam and Eve and say, where are you? He knew exactly where they were. He did not really have to ask them, have you eaten of the fruit of the tree of which I told you not to eat? He knew the very moment they disobeyed him and partook of that fruit. The text goes on in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, in other words, I can hide under the cover of darkness from God? <laughs> Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day, and the darkness as the light, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. In other words, God sees everything. God knows everything. There is no hiding from God because God is omniscient, all-seeing all-knowing. Adam and Eve failed 
in their attempt to hide, to run from God, to hide themselves in the garden. They learned it's time to stop running from God. And the account back in Genesis indicates, I believe we're to understand that they repented. But the reality of mankind and their reality had changed forever because of their sin. My friend, it's time for you to stop running from God. Contact us right away. Ask for the free Bible study. We'll take care of the postage and use this to help your life turn around. We're praying for you.